music has taken form in human society, which has been as a means of bringing people together, as a means of expression of deep humanness, and as a holder of deep human connection. This is Champagne is also a band podcast. One songwriter, one song. I'm Sven, your host for a journey into the music of Champagne Urbana. Recorded in the Blue Box studio with a songwriter from the Champagne Urbana music scene, past or present. Champagne is also a band podcast is proud to be a part of the Champagne Showers podcast network. Hey, welcome, listener. In today's bonus episode, I met up with Ayla McDonald to talk about her volunteering for the steering committee of the CU Folk and Roots Festival, trying to work on planning a festival at the beginning of a pandemic, and some of the things that she learned, and then also starting with Sophie Kish, the Folk Jam Circle, which meets over at Channing Murray in the chapel. So I met up with Ayla at the Cranert Center for the Performing Arts, and we used our phones. I did not know how much the air conditioning system would be picked up by our phones. I apologize for the sound quality, but it in no way diminishes the conversation that we had. Sit back, listen, and hear some great things about the Champaign-Urbana folk scene with Ayla McDonald. Without further ado, here is the interview. Welcome to Champagne is also a band podcast. Today, I have Ayla McDonald. And you may know Ayla McDonald from playing along with the CU Irish Session, the Urbana Hootenanny, the CU Folk and Roots Festival, Parkland College International Fashion Show, Half House Shows, and the Folk Jam Circle. Ayla Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. How long have you been in the Champaign-Urbana area? I moved to the Champaign-Urbana area in summer of 2017. What drew you to Champaign-Urbana? Uh, it's kind of a long story. The short version is that I was homeschooled until I was 19 um, and wanted to go to a college of my choosing. U of I seemed like the most reasonable option that I could possibly find out how to fund myself to attend, and Parkland College seemed like the best route to get there. So, yeah, that was the main reason that I moved here, and I knew within the first few minutes of being here that it was the right place for me, and I'm very, very glad to have landed in this community. Well, and it kind of makes me sad, though, that we're finally doing this interview, but yet you're going to be moving away in a very, very short time. So I was curious, so uh, you're predominantly a singer. Your style of singing is, what would you say? Well, I don't really have uh, much training. I did sing in choir growing up. Uh, I sang in a Latin school. I was raised Catholic. Um, so learned how to sing like Gregorian chant and read nooms. I would say as a ballad singer, I sing, I sing ballads and my vocal influences 
uh, in terms of technique and whatnot have kind of been pretty organic as they've developed, but uh, have been heavily influenced by traditional folk music from the UK and somewhat from the Appalachian area. How did you find yourself getting involved with the Champaign-Urbana music scene? Well, in 2017, I happened to hear about this wonderful event called the CU Folk and Roots Festival and attended and it was the most magical experience. At this event, I encountered the CU Irish Session group playing a gig at Pizza M and at the end of their gig, they spoke to the whole room and invited anyone who was there to bring an instrument and join in, and no one did. And I came up and I said, I don't have an instrument, but I do sing Irish music. Like, come, sit down and sing. Yeah, when, when I was 19 in 2017 at my first Folk and Roots Festival, that was my first experience singing in the community, and it could not have been a more welcoming and supportive experience. What, what was the next step after the CU Folk and Roots Festival, like you participating in that, but then you became, if I understood correctly, you became a member of the, what's the right word, the committee or the... Oh, the steering committee. The steering committee. Yeah, so um, how, how did that come about? I guess I would say I started off singing with the CU Irish Session after meeting them at the Folk and Roots Festival and then would go to their, their group every week or whenever I could. I was not very consistent in how often I attended at the Blind Pig in Champagne. After a couple more years of CU Folk and Roots happening and more instances where I was singing at CU Folk and Roots in either jam capacities or stepping in for bands that ended up not showing up at the last minute, it came to my attention that the steering committee was volunteer run and that that was something people were interested in me getting involved in and that I was interested in getting involved in, particularly because I wanted to make sure that the Irish music scene was represented, continued yeah. to be represented at CU Folk and Roots. That was kind of the inspiration behind getting involved and then COVID happened. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. I joined the steering committee in January of 2020. I've been involved with planning two festivals so far, the first of which was totally virtual. Um, so that was a really interesting experience to have. It's been something that I, I feel like we learned some very important, valuable lessons about how, well, there's, there's, there's a whole bunch to unpack there, but how we need to have that physical space that we share with another person while they're performing music, you know, that, that seeing things virtually isn't the same as being there and experiencing the other humans enjoying music around you. It, there's, there's, there's this thing. I'm sure that was very, very difficult to, and I, I gotta imagine a little heartbreaking to be able to put on a show virtually rather than the normal way. How was that coordinated or did you, I mean, I, I, I guess it wasn't that long ago, but it feels like it was a long time ago, but um, I'm just, is it still fresh in terms of how that all came about? For sure, yeah. <laughs> my answer to that would be, that was my first first year on the committee, so I was very, very new and didn't really know what was going on. And then on top of that, the festival was completely different from what we normally would have planned. That being said, as clueless as I was, 
I got to see everyone else who had been on the committee for a very long time, brainstorming and you know discussing different hurdles as they came along. We didn't expect the pandemic to last until October, right. so it took a while before we were like, okay, yeah, we should plan the festival virtually instead of expect that we'll be able to have it in person. A lot of planning went into figuring out how we could do that. It opened up some other opportunities, I think, as well, because it enabled us to have a focus going forward on planning to have virtual streaming of the festival, just in general, for people who would like to participate but maybe financially aren't able to, or physically, location-wise, aren't, aren't able to make it in person. And it also opened up an opportunity for us to connect with artists who were perhaps located much farther than we normally would be able to have them come. I think the pandemic had a really big impact on the music industry in, in that sense in general. Does the CU Folk and Roots Festival always feature Champaign-Urbana local folk people? Uh, or, or do they open it up to other say international or national acts that are folk music. Yes, CU Folk and Roots is really cool in that we do a combination of those two. There is very heavy representation of local folk music, which creates these great spaces for community engagement at the fest, where people who normally play together get to come together in a festival setting and make music and have a broader reach to the rest of the community. So our booking committee manages booking of artists both locally and nationally, but we do have a budget to book not only local performers, but national folk artists. For example, this year, 2022, our 13th annual festival, we have yet to announce um, our headliners, so I won't, <laughs> I won't say anything just yet, but oh, yeah. um, there are some really exciting national acts in the folk world who are going to be coming. You know, going back into your background, what is it about you know, Irish folk, that makes it your passion? For sure. Well, I guess I would say I don't just sing Irish folk with the Folk Jam Circle, which is a newer project that I've been involved in developing and hosting. I've been able to gain exposure to folk traditions from a lot of different cultures. So not just isolated to the UK, but in performing, I tend to perform mainly songs that are traditional to the UK region, whether that's Ireland, Scotland, or England as well as those songs from that area that have traveled to the U.S. and taken on different forms. I grew up with a pretty heavy exposure to Irish folk music through my parents, and in my experience there's some music that just speaks directly to your heart, that you can't help listening to when, when you hear it playing, um, that you can't help, help dancing to. I, I tend to judge the quality of a song by if it makes you stop and listen and totally holds your attention or if you can't stop yourself from dancing. I don't know why I'm particularly drawn to those folk traditions, but they certainly speak to my soul in a way that is very real to me and that I hope uh, translates through performing those songs. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about the Folk Jam Circle. Like, how did that get started? Um, how did you become involved? For sure, yes. Yeah. Folk Jam Circle is my baby, together with Sophie Kish, who is another local folk artist on the DL. And it occurred very organically at the end of fall semester. 
Sophie and I had both kind of been doing music separately from each other in our own homes. So we both live in co-op houses, a bunch of other people who are also very interested in folk music and who are happy to sometimes get together and sing folk music. Um, On a coincidence one night we happened to kind of merge and end up doing that together and it went really really well and we decided to continue doing that on a weekly basis and more and more people kept coming so it just started in our living rooms people would bake baked goods and bring them and share them and we would sit in a circle and everyone would bring music and we would learn it together and so that's kind of the model that's carried on to folk gym circle as it's been fine-tuned and developed and become more organized to what it is today so we started in our living rooms and then realized that we needed to implement more social awareness for the role that we were taking in participating in um, singing and, and learning these folk songs because a lot of folk music has roots that are very much embedded in controversy and uh, tragic histories that belong to cultures that have you know been appropriated and very whitewashed and so this was really important for us going forward to be aware of the cultural and historical significance of the music that we were bringing to participate in together and kind of around that awareness we decided to take the original model and see if we could partner with CU Folk and Roots, receive sponsorship for them. A large reason for doing that was I started noticing that the majority of the people who were coming to the Folk Jam Circle, A, were quite large groups, um, ranging from like four people to over 20 people in a given week, and they were mostly young people. There's a lot of great folk music in this town, and there are a lot of great spaces for participating in folk music, whether it's the CU Sea Shanty group or there are bluegrass jams and old-time jams and all kinds of folk music jams from different folk traditions yeah. around the world. And I've been a participant in those for the past five years. But I've usually been the youngest person there. And so with Folk Jam Circle, it was really interesting to see that we were creating a space for young people to come together to learn about folk music and to enjoy learning it together uh, with no musical background necessarily. So it served a lot of different purposes in creating a space that has made folk music accessible to young people in a way that perhaps it hasn't been in Champaign-Urbana. Sounds like what you want to do is create a very inclusive space so that there's no barriers, there's no gatekeeping, there's just come one, come all, learn about it, celebrate it, and then take something back with you. Yes, and I guess I've kind of just been talking about Folk Gym Circle and its development, but I really want to give a shout out to Sophie Kish, who has been so involved with me and spent hours meeting and discussing what we want our norms and values to be and how to become more organized and how to grow this project. And there has been so much thought and care that's been put in by Sophie and they will be carrying on Folk Jam Circle after I leave. Probably not on as regular a basis, um, but it will it will definitely continue to be a musical space that's accessible to the community. I'm going to kind of back up a little bit mm-hmm. because in the discussion of the Folk Jam Circle, you mentioned appropriation mm-hmm. in terms of folk music. So I think in most people's minds, there's a thought of like, well, folk music is very 
white bread. One of the problems with appropriation is that it just kind of, it's like it gets swept downstream. Like somebody will do it and it will get caught up into the river and it will just keep going and it will become a part of it. And then there's this idea of like, how do we separate it so that the original thing that was appropriated gets celebrated? Which I'm sorry, if, if maybe I'm interpreting, I'm, I'm wondering if that's kind of, was, was, is that kind of what you were meaning in terms of bringing out those appropriated elements or did I misinterpret? No, for sure. I mean, I think it's very important to be aware that appropriation certainly exists um, and a lot of folk traditions, especially in the U.S., that we consider to be belonging to white communities, because traditionally they probably most certainly haven't, depending on the region that the music is coming from and um, the history of the music. I have not studied ethnomusicology, so I am very ignorant myself um, to the specifications of appropriation of folk music, but a concept that I've, I've heard about recently is, I guess, purism. I'm not sure if that's the actual term in, in folk music. If I've learned anything about folk music in my time singing it, it's that it travels and there can be so many different versions that occur and time changes it. Um, the groups of people singing it change it, not just singing, but, you know, um, keeping it alive. And people who, who have studied ethnomusicology and who have gone out and done field work uh, with these songs, trying to trace them back to their origins and find the original source of the song will a lot of times tell you that that's very, very, very hard to do <laughs> because it's quite difficult to, to actually find the source depending on how old the songs are. But a lot of the elements of, of different songs can go back quite a long time. A lot of folk music in the U.S has its roots in African-American culture and especially in, in slavery in the U.S. The model that we follow at Folk Jam Circle is everyone is welcome to bring songs. If there's a song that you would like to bring, we require that everyone researches the history of the song, researches the culture and the cultural background uh, that the song belongs to and that they're welcome to recognize their own relationship to the song and how they learned about it, whether it was a song that was in their family for uh, a long time. And yeah, in this way, we hope to recognize our own interactions with this music, as well as the social and historical and cultural contexts that we exist within and that the music itself exists within. I think creating awareness around these things makes for a more informed and peaceful experience in learning the music together and playing it together because a lot of folk music can, um, ballads specifically, which I'm most familiar with, be quite gruesome, some really heavy material, lyrically speaking, and make sure that we're aware of what is contained in the song, provide a trigger warning for full transparency. If anyone's uncomfortable with those parts of the song being sung, then uh, we honor participants' comfort and don't sing them, as well as wanting to recognize you know, how society has, has changed in terms of, well, not necessarily changed because right. you know, society is society, <laughs> um, but things that perhaps might have been appropriate to sing in a song 100 years ago right. aren't socially acceptable at this point in time. Um, so acknowledging that and, and being aware of that. Yeah, that, that's kind of the, uh, the model of song sharing that, that we follow at Folk Jam Circle. Maybe this is completely obvious, but 
if someone doesn't play an instrument or sing or feels like they can't sing, is this a good spot for them to yes. just come along and just listen and enjoy? Definitely, yes. Okay. Um, Very good. Anyone is welcome, regardless of their previous experience with music. We at Folk Gym Circle believe that music is integral to people and we don't hold ourselves to society's standards of having to be good at something in order to be able to participate in it. One of our goals is for participating in music to be an enjoyable experience uh, regardless of your musical background. I don't know, this, this is me coming from my background saying something that I feel is potentially ig ignorant, but I feel like without, without having TV or without having, you know, your only entertainment is like the music that you can share with each other and, mm. and newspapers and books. And I feel like there may have been like kind of that weird morbid fascination that people will have with like these stories that feel maybe real or not real like mm. some somewhat fabricated so i feel like definitely like an entertainment but it's it's weird to hear it now and think oh you know you'd sit around the campfire singing that or sitting you know mm. in, a, in a community singing about these horrible things so i i don't know i always found that really fascinating as a folk tradition mm. one of the questions that i like to ask my guests especially since 2020 has has rolled around and we've kind of gotten more distant from what we think of as a community as, as people being together and how they share a community. I like to just ask my guests, what do you think makes a good community? And especially mm. even more so the, a music community. Mm. That's a really good question. They usually overlap pretty well, the music and, the, and just a community. Immediately for me, what defines community is inclusivity, especially in the musical community, I think. My experience with music throughout my life has predominantly been a non-commercial experience. I, like I mentioned, grew up singing in choir and in church. And uh, while that's not really something that I do at this point in my life, that foundational relationship with music was very formative and I feel quite different to the mainstream relationship to music in a social setting, which is very performative, very individualized, unless, you know, you're performing with a group of other people. Very performance and audience-based, that is kind of the relationship that I, that I observe, as well as focused on capitalizing on yourself as an artist, which is important if you're a musician, but is quite different to, I think, perhaps the most ancient way that music has taken form in human society, which has been as a means of bringing people together, as a means of expression of deep humanness and as a holder of deep human connection. I grew up singing as prayer, which I think religion aside is very integral to the human experience uh, and in relationship to music and is something that isn't necessarily present in the music industry that we see nowadays, but I've found in experiencing my music in a social context through performing is, is something that people really connect to. Making music together as, as a community in a non-performance setting, or you see that same element that I grew up having with music being prayerful in that it fosters connection, uh, it fosters safety, and can foster healing and just very good and positive feelings among the people that are gathering. 
together to, to perform it. And I think it has served so many different purposes for society throughout history. Murder ballads is, is one folk tradition that I perform specifically. And as you were saying, speaking to how interesting it is that murder ballads might have been a, a form of entertainment, like gruesome entertainment, they also serve the purpose. Um, I'm, I'm specifically interested in murder ballads from the perspective of uh, women who end up being the heroines of the story or are the victims in the stories. I think that telling story through music is a way of making sure that these voices that would otherwise perhaps be stifled under a patriarchal capitalist system are kept alive and are told. Another musical tradition that uh, is equally interesting to me is protest songs, which serve a similar purpose, I, I feel, of offering a medium of conveyance of one's life experience and ways in which uh, oppression has occurred and speaking out against it. I think music can be a great caveat of being the medium of, of voicing for the otherwise voiceless in society and for generating social change through making sure that stories are being visualized is not the word that I'm looking for, but... <laughs> well, I was just thinking about if you were, if a large group were to sing a protest song together, I feel like there'd be this, it's a very powerful thing, you know? And I, I, I don't know if I could even articulate what that all means, but I, I hope I'm kind of picking up on what you were indicating, but it's the ability for groups of people to sync up whatever you want to call it, or join in one voice, like literally, metaphorically, spiritually, it's, it's a very, it's this weird convergence. And I say weird because it's just like almost beyond what it, what it is. Mm -hmm. Like it's bigger than the sum of its parts. And I don't know, I, uh, sorry, I just, you know, I get, I get a little inspired there thinking about, um, what music can do. Sure, yeah, I, I think I see what you're saying as far as it being a unifying and harmonizing force. Because I always like to ask every single guest this, what is your favorite non-musical thing? My favorite non-musical thing? Um, I guess I would have to say spending time in nature, for sure. Yeah, which for me kind of still is a musical, musical thing. Nature has always been a very, very central part of my life, listening to the different sounds, and one of my favorite things is being alone in a natural space, um, particularly Meadowbrook Park, and letting my body make whatever kinds of sounds it, it wants, um, letting my voice make crazy sounds that I wouldn't normally in front of other people. Yeah, I guess experimenting with, with sound and music in that way, um, and songs that kind of belong to the prairie and develop on the prairie and stay there that I don't record or bring back with me. You are departing to head over to Ireland to... Scotland. Scotland. Uh, yes. Oh, I thought you... Scotland okay. first. So I'm, I'm actually, I will be in all three countries <laughs> okay. uh, different, at different parts, but uh, Scotland first. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'll be in the Hebrides and the Northwestern Islands in Scotland. Excellent. Um, starting next week. And, it, it, and that's to study more music or 
Yes. Um, well, so at university, I've been studying sociology predominantly and horticulture on the DL, though don't ever ask me any horticulture questions. Um, <laughs> what is horticulture? No, um. <laughs> I don't know. I love sociology very much. If I could do everything over again, I probably would have applied to um, the University of the Highlands and Islands in Scotland and studied Gaelic and Gaelic singing, which I do have the opportunity to take Gaelic classes and Gaelic singing classes at the beginning of July. Um, thanks to the recommendation of Julie Fowlis, who was very, very kind to answer my DM and recommend this school, uh, Sailos Summer School uh, on the island of Southwest. Um, I'll be studying under, I think her name is Kathy Ann McPhee, uh, among other Gaelic singers um, who grew up in that area and have built careers around the world who are coming back to teach uh, at this summer school um, so I'm very 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 grateful for the opportunity to um, be able to go and participate in educational endeavor <laughs> very um, cool and All then right. after that I'll be um, studying at University of Reading in England if people want to become a part of the folk jam circle where do they go who do they contact how do they do it um, well, mostly we've been advertising through Instagram at this point, um, and we don't have an official Instagram account for Folk Jam Circle, um, but Sophie and I both advertise on our personal Instagram accounts. Um, so I'm at Ava McDonald Music, um, and Sophie is, I think, Urbana underscore walks. Okay, cool. And is there a regular meeting schedule just if people want to be like oh um more or less I, I would really recommend um checking social media first okay. and we we generally like to have people uh join our folk jam circle group me group chat um for the most up-to-date uh updates um on whether or not there's a jam happening um we tend to have jams on saturday nights uh from seven to ten at the channing murray foundation um which I mentioned CU Folk and Roots is one of our sponsors. Channing Murray Foundation is our other sponsor, and um, they've very generously provided the sanctuary space in Tagore Chapel uh, for us to have Folk Jam Circle there. Ayla, thank you for coming on the show and chatting with me about your experiences here in Champaign-Urbana. You haven't been here a long time, but it feels like you're going to leave a lasting impact on the Champaign-Urbana music scene and the folk scene. And I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on. Excellent. And um, yeah, I wanted to just also uh, say a big thank you to oh. everyone um, who has welcomed me um, in Champaign-Urbana and especially in, in the music community here. Um, you've made it home and I am so grateful. Thank you for listening to Champagne is also a band podcast. This is Ayla McDonald reminding you great music is out there. Go find it where you live.
that's a wrap. Champagne is also a band. You almost have an NPR voice. It's so good. Studio South Beaker on the inside.